Roughly speaking, photography is the creation of a durable image by recording light onto a chemically light-sensitive material, like film or paper. It has given us the ability to capture time, fixed forever on a piece of paper that we can put in our wallet or hang on the wall. You can take pictures of the Washington Monument or your child's birthday or have an album made for your wedding. But what if you could take pictures of the way you felt during your wedding? What if a camera could record how you felt right before you went to your senior prom, instead of just showing you with your date standing by the front door? What if you could actually photograph thoughts? In the 1960s, one man sought to convince the world that he could do just that. This is The Expert Eye. The idea of thought photography was not really that new. For example, in the early 20th century, two Italian brothers who were filmmakers and futurist artists, the Bregalias, believed that photography had the potential to aid them with things like spirit photography, the photography of scent, and yes, even the photography of thought. The mysterious and evocative photographs show a hand or a face floating in a ghost-like ectoplasm. We've sold a few of these photographs at Sotheby's in recent years, and they've been some of my favorite photographs that I've handled. These images are the perfect encapsulations of futurism, but no, they don't really capture thought. They capture movement, which in turn express mood, so essentially they're very arty renderings of movement, which makes sense because they were also filmmakers. I'm not really sure how they thought they were going to do this successfully. I mean, how do you get human thought to travel through the brain, through space, into a camera, and then onto a sheet of photographic film? Well, some people do think that if you have the mental capacity and the will, you can actually accomplish this feat. The idea is this. You grab a camera and you look at it. You think and you think and you stare and you concentrate as hard as you possibly can with an image in mind. And then, if you focus correctly and completely, you will be able to transfer energy from your own brain onto a sheet of sensitized paper within a camera that will create an image. Not just an abstract pattern like light streaks, but an actual recognizable object like the Colosseum or the Eiffel Tower or the deli counter at Wegmans. This is the story of how an unemployed Chicago bellhop collaborated with a psychiatrist to convince the world that he was able to produce photographs. Ted Sirios was born in Kansas City in 1918. He had served in the Vietnam War and had returned disabled. By the early 1950s, he was working at the Chicago Conrad Hilton Hotel as a bellhop. It seems that around this time, a co-worker hypnotized Sirios apparently in order to spot hidden locations of sunken treasure. I mean, they lived in Chicago, which isn't exactly a hot spot for scuba diving, so I'm not really sure what the point was. But according to Sirios, the hypnotism made him come to the conclusion that he had psychic abilities. He began to believe that he could transfer his thoughts onto film. I'm not sure how he got from hypnotism to thought transfer, but the important thing is that his big break was in 1963 when an article on his powers was published in Fate magazine. 
Fate magazine is actually still around, and the most recent issue just came out. It's a magazine that covers paranormal phenomena like UFOs, psychics, ghosts, life after death, telepathy, and more. The article on TED was read by a man named Dr. Jewel Eisenbud. Eisenbud was a psychiatrist, and despite having some initial doubts, he met Sirius in person and thus began what would become years and years of study into Ted's alleged powers. After all the experimentation and research, Eisenbud crowned his efforts with a 1967 book, The World of Ted Sirius, Photographic Studies of an Extraordinary Mind. Eisenbud was a true believer. At this point, he had worked with him for years, and he'd witnessed his abilities firsthand. He even invited other people to experience Ted transporting images from his brain to photographic paper. So how it would work is that Ted would think about a place, person, or thing really, really, really hard while looking into the lens of a Polaroid camera. He would then signal to the person holding the camera when to click the shutter. Sometimes the resulting images were blank. Sometimes they were totally black and other times white. Sometimes there'd be a ghostly image of a human figure or fuzzy images that were hard to make out but were clearly buildings. But sometimes Ted nailed it. There are several images from Eisenberg's collection that are clearly specific places like Big Ben or the Parthenon, places where Ted had never been. And then other times, there would be places where Ted had actually been, but there would be inverted elements like misspelled words in the signage as if the photo was a recollection of something from years past and things just got a little wonky. What is also interesting and quite important is that Ted claimed that he had to hold a gizmo, as he called it, in his hand, which was a little cylindrical object, which apparently helped him concentrate. In addition to the gizmo, he was often drunk, or at least had been drinking, because Eisenbud believed that the images Ted made while intoxicated were better when he had been drinking, as if the altered state Ted was in made the images actually present themselves more clearly. In one film that was made documenting Ted's process, Eisenbud actually calls a bottle of vodka film juice. And now, of course, I'm calling all alcoholic beverages film juice. When Ted was doing his thing, he would take the gizmo in his hand, and then he would stare at the lens of the Polaroid. He would go into a deep state of concentration, with his neck very tense and his eyes bulging with intensity. He would shake a little, and sometimes veins would stick out of his forehead. His mouth would grimace and he would bar his teeth. It was if he was a melodramatic actor who had been given the directive to pretend like he was concentrating very, very hard. So basically, he was putting on one hell of a show. So what exactly was Ted's game here? How was he doing all of this? Was he actually able to transmit his thoughts onto photographic paper? Of course, your mind should go immediately to the gizmo that Ted insisted on holding in his hand during the sessions. But witnesses said that they never saw him do anything with it that would make them think that he was up to something. But keep in mind that during these sessions, Ted was usually really drunk on film juice, and there was a lot of chaos in the lab. He would jerk his limbs this way and that, waving his arms around, yelling and gesturing wildly. 
it would have been really difficult to catch Ted putting something in the gizmo or to see him taking something out of it with all that activity. And what would you even be looking for? So professional magicians got on board and tried to figure out his little secret. And sure enough, during one experiment in the late 1960s, Ted slipped up. He was obnoxiously drunk, waving his arms around, and one witness saw a tiny, shiny object reflected from within the gizmo. But what could it be? Although not proven, critics assert that it was likely the reflection of a tiny lens. Ted could have placed a small photographic transparency featuring an image, say, of Niagara Falls on the end of the gizmo, and then the tiny lens would have picked it up And then if he held it in just the right position when the shutter clicked, the camera may have captured the image. Of course, this explains why so few of these images were actually successful, because the probability of the lens and the gizmo aligning was really low. And once he was done with the shot, he just waved his arms around, flinging the teensy tiny little transparency out of the gizmo so he could show that it was empty if anyone wanted to look. When Ted and Dr. Eisenbud were challenged, Eisenbud actually doubled down. Remember, he was a true believer, and in response to the claims of fraud, he said if a jury of investigators could duplicate the results, then he would not only give up working with Ted, but he would buy up and publicly burn all the available copies of the book. On top of this, He said that he would take out a full-page ad in popular photography with a picture of himself wearing a dunce cap. Of course, Eisenbud's offer would have been great if he hadn't made it so incredibly difficult for skeptics to replicate the experiment, including crazy stipulations that if you wanted to try it, you had to do it in a cage, naked and drunk. So of course, no one wanted to do that, no matter how convinced they were that the whole thing was a sham. Ted and the doctor never gave up their claims. They never confessed to fraud. And even in decades later, they were featured in one of my favorite shows when I was a kid, Arthur C. Clarke's World of Strange Powers. They were still at it, working for hours, Ted grimacing at the camera and taking accidental selfies. Despite all of this energy, they were never able to recapture the magic from their earlier sessions. This falls into a long history of photography and the paranormal, or efforts to capture the paranormal and failing, as well as the use of this idea in cinema. You might remember the 2002 film The Ring, which centers around a spooky videotape that, while it looks like something an NYU film student would turn in for a thesis project, it's said to have actually been made by psychic powers not by a camera. I admire all efforts to test the boundaries of what photography is and can do. I love this kind of experimentation, but I don't love lying about process and trying to intentionally defraud the public just to make yourself look like some sort of telepathic wizard. All I'm saying is conduct your weirdo experiments, but keep it above board. This episode of The Expert Eye was written by me, Amy Flieger, and edited by Yvonne Suro in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Please visit theexperteye.org for images of Ted and Dr. Eisenbud and photos from their experiments, held in the special collections of the University of Maryland. Additionally, 
If you'd like to see an example of one of the super rare movement studies by the Bregalia brothers that we sold at Sotheby's, I'm putting links on the blog as well. So until next time, Google cautiously, blacklight judiciously, and do not handle prints under the influence of film juice.